Welcome to a new podcast. This is Everything with Everett, a talk show podcast hosted by Everett McConaughey from Boise, Idaho. The purpose of this production is to share thoughts, voices, and information to further a discussion on who we are as individuals, communities, and a global presence. Everything with Everett is open to all topics of discussion, faith, religion, history, finances, and well, everything. Follow, like, listen, and subscribe. Visit EverettMcConaughey.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first in a series. Today, we are going to talk about child abuse and forms of abuse. April, the month that I'm recording it in. I say that because in 90 days in July, this will be available on the archive version on my YouTube channel. So if you happen to be watching this in July, that is why I'm doing this. So abuse comes in many forms. Um, It's not all universal. Not all abuse leaves scars that are visible to outside people. Um, But all abuse does leave scars, Uh, even if they heal and we overcome them to where they aren't part of our everyday conscience, it leaves, it leaves a mark that should never have been there. Um, the purpose of the podcast today is to kind of have a discussion about what different forms of abuse, whether intentional or unintentional. Uh, what they look like. I think also it's important to be aware of if you experienced any of these things growing up, you are statistically and scientifically at a predisposed higher risk of becoming an abuser. So I think that this is an important discussion for everybody, victims and abusers alike, because... If we don't talk about it, we can't break the cycle. We can't take away the problems that this really is. And it kind of screws up uh, generation after generation. It just kind of keeps getting paid forward. And so I think it's important that we're all aware of what we went through individually and look for those warning signs ourselves so that we don't further that. So I'm also going to be pulling off of some of my experiences because things that I've read um, very closely align with what happened to me um, growing up. I was never hit. I was never like sexually abused. Um, so please don't, you know, read into anything like that I say like that. I'm also not doing this because... I want to rehash the past or I'm enjoying living in the past. It's not good. Um, This kind of was inspired by a resurgence with the person who did all these things to me that I'll talk about later. Um, We had a, an email exchange where it just kind of like this was an underlying tone and just, it's part of why we as adults don't have a good relationship. And it just, I was like, you know what? I can't be the only one, you know, going through this stuff. And 
and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to use names. I, if you can figure out, you know, connect the dots, then more power to you. But I, my intentions with this discussion, episode, production are not to guilt anybody or not to, you know, make anybody, you know, feel less than. Again, I'm not using names. I'm not going to defame anybody or it's not slander because it happened in reality. This is true. This is my memory happened to me. So we're all kosher on all that. Um, So if, if the person that did all this to me happens to listen to this or watch this, I'm not calling them out. I'm frankly, I, I'm, I don't really care. Honestly, like whatever their thoughts are, kind of neither here nor there. I mean, it is what it is. Like we get one chance to be parents and one chance to be children. And I think we all owe it to ourselves and to whoever else is in that role to be the best that we can. Uh, Children are a gift and they're not bought You don't earn them through, you know, buying Happy Meals or buying the expensive toys. Those are great, and that's, you know, can build some good memories and and whatnot. But children don't owe you anything. And if you're, if you have children with the hopes of getting a return on your investment or getting something back from them to say thank you and show gratitude, then... You probably weren't a a good parent to begin with, and you probably weren't, you know, doing the parent thing for the right reasons. It was probably a status thing, like, hey, I got kids. (laughs) Doing this by myself. Anyway, so this is an important discussion to have. So um, what I'd like to do is to start off with a video that I found. It's called 14 Subtle Things Abusive Parents Do. And oh my God, looking at this video, like, I can think of, like, I, I instantly thought of one thing that came, at least one thing that happened to me that came to mind for every single step that they have. So, without further delay, here is, let me get this all set up. I haven't done a recording with the video for a while, so I'm like, kind of like, out of whack. But here is the video called 14 Subtle Things Abusive Parents Do. It's from a YouTube channel called Psych2Go with 5.4 million subscribers. So if you end up watching the YouTube version of this, you'll actually get to see the video that I'm referencing. And I will link to the uh, YouTube video in the description of the YouTube uh, channel as well as on the podcast. So if you're listening on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Pandora, whatever podcasting platform that you're listening to, look in the description section and you will find links for all the things today. I'm trying to get better about that, putting links um, to things in the description. So if you're like, oh, what's he talking about? Boom, right there. Click it, go to it. Click, you know, make it easier for you to actually connect and not have to remember to Google something or search for it. Just put it right there at your fingertips. So here is this video, 14 Subtle Things Abusive Parents Do. When it comes to abusive parents, 
What comes to your mind? Do you think of physical, mental, and sexual abuse? Parents can be abusive in ways that are hard to detect. It doesn't matter how the parents express it, though. Abuse is abuse, no matter what. Long-term abuse will increase the chances of developing serious mental health problems that will be dragged into adulthood. Different forms of abuse will affect children in numerous ways. Curious to know more? Here are 14 subtle things an abusive parent can do to their children. 1. Little to no privacy. There's a huge difference between a parent protecting their child from harm versus giving them a lack of privacy. It's essential for parents to provide age-appropriate privacy to their children, such as allowing them to change alone in their room. 2. Invalidating emotions and reality. Parents can invalidate their children's feelings by telling them how to feel or completely denying their feelings altogether. This makes children feel unheard and internally conflicted. In the long run, children will have difficulties trusting their judgment and making decisions. 3. Giving the silent treatment. It's an immature way of handling things and it's emotionally abusive. Parents use this tactic to exert their power or punish their children. Due to this, the children feel unheard, rejected, and develop low self-esteem. 4. Playing the victim card. This type of behavior is emotionally abusive because the parent doesn't take responsibility for their actions. This in turn can affect children in two ways. They can learn this type of behavior and use it as a coping mechanism when they're older, or develop feelings of guilt and shame and blame themselves for things that they shouldn't. Five, gaslighting. This is a type of psychological abuse and it's difficult to detect. It's a type of manipulation where the abuser creates doubt and confusion within the victim. A parent who gaslights their children will leave them feeling insecure, paranoid, anxious, and mistrusting. In extreme cases, the child will end up questioning their reality. Six, threats of violence. It's emotionally abusive for parents to threaten their child with physical violence, even if they aren't gonna use it. Children end up feeling unsafe around their parents and don't wanna be home. Seven, favoring a child over another. Parents can act differently with their favorite child. For instance, giving them more attention, better gifts, less discipline, and more privileges. This will affect the other child by decreasing their self-esteem. They can develop depression, feel rejected, feel inadequate, and in the long run, fall into similar relationships outside of the home. Eight, being overly critical. This type of abuse occurs when a parent repeatedly criticizes their child. For example, harshly comparing their children with one another. Children end up developing low self-esteem, feeling inadequate, and worthless. Nine, taking control of your finances. Parents who take away their child's money are abusive and believe their children owe them. It's not the child's responsibility to pay back for anything. On the contrary, children should be encouraged to develop independence and learn how to correctly handle their money. 10, emotionally absent. This type of abuse is again difficult to detect. In many cases, children don't notice they're being abused. When a parent is emotionally absent, the child will end up feeling unappreciated and unsupported. In severe cases, children can develop depression and become needy as an adult. 11, using guilt. Parents who are constantly guilt-tripping their children are emotionally abusive, and it's a form of manipulation. This damages the child's confidence and self-expression. They end up feeling like a disappointment, and in many cases, children feel guilty for everything they do, even when it's correct. 12. Humiliation. 
Intentionally humiliating a child as punishment causes more harm than good. It emotionally drains children and affects their self-worth. It also teaches children that it's okay to bully one another. In the long run, children end up feeling shameful and become preoccupied with what others think of them. 13. Earning your parents' love. Parents should love their children unconditionally, but that isn't always the case. Parents who love conditionally withdraw love to manipulate the children into doing what they want. They only show affection when the children are behaving how they want them to. This deeply affects children emotionally. And lastly, 14. Taking away your independence. Some parents want their children to depend on them. It's their way of maintaining power and control. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, pardon the interruption. I know you were really listening intensely to this episode. My apologies. But I'd like to take a moment to let you know that there are other people who love this podcast as much as you and like hearing some really cool, interesting topics and discussions. And if you have a brand, product, maybe you have a podcast yourself, if you would like to advertise in this podcast, either a pre-roll at the beginning of an episode in the middle, just like you're hearing right now, or at the end of podcast episodes, please let me know. I would love to help you connect with the listeners just like yourself with whatever it is you would like to get uh, to their ears. Just email advertising at everettpodcast.com. Again, pardon the interruption. I will get you right back to this episode that you're listening to. Thanks. And this hinders the child's development. A parent can go as far as not allowing their child to make a single decision and even prevent them from learning necessary skills they need to become successful adults. Many of us struggle with different forms of abuse growing up. A lot of the times, it can be unintentional. No one's perfect, and sometimes parents can do harm to their children unwillingly. This, obviously, doesn't excuse their behavior. Parents need to become aware of how their behavior affects their children. Have you struggled with any of these types of abuse? Or are you the parent who unconsciously did these things to your child? Let us know in the comment section below. Remember, being aware of these behaviors is the key to healing and changing your life for the better. If you found this video helpful, please give us a like, share this with someone who could benefit from it, and subscribe to Psych2Go for more psychology videos. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you in our next video. So, quite the list of things that uh, can be intentional or unintentional of a parent who is abusive to their children. And like I said, I can think of at least one example for every single one of those points. So I guess let's go ahead and jump into um, going over some of those examples. So the first one that they hit on was little to no privacy. One of the creepiest things that happened to me was we'd be at home and we were told, you know, that we had to do, be doing our homework and kind of like our place was in our bedrooms. Like we, unless we were practicing our instruments, we weren't supposed to really be anywhere else. We didn't have a social life Monday through Friday. Um, we didn't, you know, go play with the neighbor kids. It was either doing chores around the house, doing something that was the preferred 
activity of the parent that I was with, uh, that we were with, that we lived with 24-7, excluding weekends. And so we, we were usually in our room for exaggeratedly long times. You know, like just from after school till, so you had like what, two hours, like that's why I enjoyed band and tennis and some of the after school stuff because it it gave me something to do, gave me a social outlet where I could, you know, be a kid and be with people um, and I didn't have to go home. That was the nice thing. Like I enjoyed having that escape and not having to be at home. That was the last place that I wanted to be. Um, but one of the creepiest things that happened was, you know, we'd have dinner and then from like five to 10, and that's five hours of, we were stuck in our rooms. The doors were open, but we just, we, yeah, we weren't allowed to close the door unless we were changing. And unless it was like bedtime or early in the morning kind of a thing. But the rest of the time, doors had to be open. So, you know, again, that bounces down to, well, this one, no privacy. But the creepiest thing that happened to me that just like still like has messed with me as an adult was I'd be, you know, sitting there on my bed, either zoning out or listening to music or reading or whatever. Um, Homework wasn't, you know, always the thing I wanted to do. But obviously you don't want to sit there for five hours and look like you're doing homework. Because like if you if you weren't doing homework, then you were going to get berated about something or, or scrutinized or you must have, you know, not done it right. Like why are you done so? Like it was just, there was no empowerment to just do homework and get it done and then just go have a life like homework in our bedrooms were like our gel cells like we had to live in those things and we couldn't throw anything away like my room was a disaster and I had the smallest room in the house and I agreed to the smallest room because I was promised the computer and that never happened but anyway um so little to no privacy we sit in there you know hanging out on the bed zoning out maybe fidgeting with something because I'd you know tinker with random things And my parent would just like, kind of like very creepy, creepily, I don't know if that's a word, very creepy, like come down the hall so that we couldn't hear them, you know, avoiding the squeaky floorboards and whatnot. And then just very weirdly pop the head around so that all you could see was like a forehead and then the eyes. So if you want to like picture a door frame just anywhere towards the regular height of a human head. Um, just kind of like draw a, a forehead popping out with some eyeballs looking into the room. And you never knew how long they were standing there. Um, usually it was maybe a minute, two minutes. Sometimes it was three, claimed to be four or whatever. Um, and sometimes if like your door was shut, they'd, just stand there and listen. But then eventually there was the gotcha pop out kind of a thing and be like, Oh, I caught you. You're not reading. You're not doing your homework. 
or, you know, what are you listening to? Like just really. And as an adult, that totally has messed up my sense of boundaries and privacy. Um, I've worked really hard to get over these things on my own and through um, talking to people and just finding other people that went through similar events. But it's just, it's weird. Like, you know how, like, once you get older, you know, it's kind of cute. And it's like, surprise. Like, I don't like surprises because I was abused like that as a kid. I had no privacy. I was being watched. Someone was looking out for me to screw up when I wasn't screwing up or doing anything that was bad. Like, I was being, if anything, I was being a kid and exploring my imagination or something else like, but no, I had to be doing what this one person wanted me to be doing and look like this perfect robotic child. And, you know, then it was gotcha. You're not doing what I told you to do or you're, and then that was like, and then if, if like I wasn't actually reading, like if I had the book laid down, sometimes I'd fall asleep because I'm tired. You know, you're a kid. I'd fall asleep and then it'd be like, oh, you're not reading. And then it was like, like I was like lying or something. It would just, it was weird and like totally just messed with my head. Anyway, so little to no privacy. That's my example. Invalidating emotions and reality. I remember one time, I mean, this happened a lot. I don't have tons of examples because I've really worked hard to purge these from my conscience, uh, consciousness, because they're not fun memories to think about. Um, this parent has no future with me. I'm literally waiting for them to be off the earth at some point because they just, it's never going to matter. I never mattered to this parent. And that is very clear. Um, I have so much proof. So invalidating emotions and reality. I remember one time I was talking to a school counselor and my parent was called because the counselor thought that I was in emotional distress and troubled and just, I don't know what he was getting at, but he just basically was like, um, didn't want me going home on my own kind of a thing. So they called my parent. I had to stay at school. They had to go get my backpack and all that jazz. So my parent got called into the office and I had to meet with my parent and this counselor. And let's pause on the, well, hang on. I'll go back to the counselor thing. So invalidating emotions in reality. I guess it all kind of goes together. But um, I remember just saying, t- telling my parent, like, hey, we had th- you had this discussion and you were belittling uh, members of my family on my mom's side and it, I, it does, wasn't comfortable to me and I didn't agree with it. Like, it just wasn't the right thing to do. And I remember my parent, like, literally didn't care that I was saying this, didn't care that it was upsetting me. Just straight out, just in front of the counselor said, I call bullshit on this. And just completely just ignored what I said. I was, I was in the wrong. That's all it was. I was in the wrong. 
didn't matter what I felt or why I felt it. It was an act or something. Um, and then, you know, growing up through the years, like we'd go see a counselor. I think it was probably a good thing to, you know, sometimes your kids don't want to talk as to your parents. I get that. That can happen with any situation. But we'd go see a counselor pretty regularly. And I remember I, so this developed an issue where I don't trust counselors. I don't trust therapists. Um, so I've done a lot of work myself to try to get over things. I don't. I haven't hired a professional because <laughs> professionals were used in the grand scheme of things to abuse me. And this parent, this same parent, hired this counselor that we saw for years. I think we saw her starting at age like three, right around the beginning of the divorce from when my parents got to, uh, separated. So around three till, oh, I want to say like around middle school is when we stopped seeing her. Like it was through elementary school for the most part. But we'd go see her like once a month or I forget how often it was. But it always felt like, and as I got older, I became more aware of the weird coincidences. So we'd go talk to her and she'd have, you know, games and board games and drawing like fun kid stuff but we'd sit there and just talk and kind of spill the beans and then after both my sister and I had hashed it out like what our issues were what's going on or how we're feeling and all that then it was like well do you mind if I talk to your dad and of course not like why would I I didn't know any better she's on his dime why should anyway so she would then reveal everything that we said to our father. And he would play it off like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a very doting parent and I intend to do well. And I don't think you like, like that it was enlightening kind of a thing. But once we left her office, it was, why did you say this? Why did you, what did you mean by this? Why did you say my food sucks? Why did you say you don't want to live with me? Why all this stuff? And eventually the older I got, the more I started to realize we're telling her the truth, but then she's telling our parent or she's telling somebody else who's then that confidentiality is out the window I remember I confronted it with her one of the last times that we saw her. And I said, she wanted me to talk. And I said, why? You're sharing everything that I say with my parent. And I remember she was pretty animate that she didn't. that, But she did acknowledge that she shared it with the lawyer. But then I remember the lawyer that it was shared with was a very good friend of this parent. And... Things got around, and pretty soon it was like, okay, she, if she's not sharing our stuff directly with the parent, because obviously, like, you know, patient, whatever, privilege, she's, you know, she's fulfilling that, but then by telling the lawyer, he doesn't care, he's the friend or witness, so then he's going to turn over everything, like, it was, it was a, 
backdoor approach to sharing everything. So everything we said that we felt got back to our parent and it was used against us for punishing us. Um, We had to work harder to have a happier life, to earn the love of this parent, to earn the affection, when in reality we probably should have never lived with this parent. Um, I mean, obviously, like, I am who I am. It helped shape me, and I, I don't know where I'd be without all that, but I know my childhood would have been a lot more fulfilling had I not been with this parent. And, you know, had someone actually cared what I said back when I was six or seven and when I said I didn't want to live with this parent, if they had removed me, it would have changed. But they didn't because this parent was like, oh, well, they gaslighting. I didn't know what I was talking about or would pressure me to change my mind. So then on the follow-up interview, I'd be like, no, it's okay. Um, so invalidating emotions and reality was definitely part of growing up for me. Giving the silent treatment, number three from that video. Oh my God. If you were in trouble or you pissed the parent off, you got the silent treatment. In fact, this parent gave me my dog, Cedric, who next week's episode is going to be about. And the reason I did this podcast now is because it helps set up some of the things I'm going to share next week uh, or on the 27th. Cedric's heaven day. Um, Because all of this plays into Cedric. And then obviously like when Cedric passed away last year, That fuels a huge amount of grief, and in the last, truly in the last year, I have not only gotten over the loss of my dog, but also through my fiancé and growing up in a similar environment, I've learned to let things go, I've learned to identify my red flags, I've learned to be retrospective, and really make myself actively every day make myself a better person. And that's really all you can do. So that's what this discussion's about is to help you realize things that you do have an impact long term. And we all make mistakes. But you have to be aware of your mistakes and consciously choose every day to not make them. If you do something you're like, "Oh, I shouldn't have done that." then you need to work really hard and make sure you don't do it tomorrow. And then by slowly making small steps where you're cutting those things out of your life and they're not part of something that you normally do on a regular basis, then they go away. It takes care of itself. If you remove the habit, it doesn't become a thing anymore. So the silent treatment. We would get the silent treatment, and this parent who gave me Cedric, bought me Cedric, when Cedric would have an accident and pee on the floor or go poop or whatever. It was recommended that I give Cedric the silent treatment. And here's the messed up reasoning why. I still remember this. It was, oh, he's in trouble. You should you should not speak to him. He likes it when you talk to him. And gosh, was that eye-opening. 
my parent actually said that for me to treat a puppy with the silent treatment because he liked the, the sound of my voice. That was a massive flag in my head at the time as I'm growing up like, whoa, that is not sound reasoning. That is effed up. And thankfully I didn't go that route with my dog because my dog was my first child. And I began fostering the growth of I'm not going to perpetuate this. So I didn't do the silent treatment. It's okay to take a break and be silent if something, you know, is bugging you. If you're going to lash out and totally, you know, like come off the rails and just be upset about something, it's okay to be silent and walk away. But you have to communicate that. You have to say, you know what, I am really frustrated right now, but I don't want to say something that I would regret. I don't want to hurt you. So can we take a break for 10 minutes? And then you both need to physically go do something else. Go for a drive. Go for a walk. You know, go to the opposite ends of the house. Go find something that just brings you down. And then come. Then you can analyze in that time whether your anger response was valid and just. And try to think about, well, what were they doing? What was their intention? And then... You know, if they didn't mean any harm by it and you're overreacting, then you're the one in the wrong. And then you go, okay, I need to go apologize or I need to, this wasn't a big thing, like let's just try to move on. If something truly aggravates you and something needs to be changed, then you can come up with an appropriate way to communicate that of, hey, when you do this, it kind of bugs me or I prefer this and that's part of maturity and that's growing up and that's communication. That is the Achilles heel of every company, uh, relationship, anything. That is the problem across the board is communication. Um, which is ironic because one of the best quotes, I hated this as a kid, but uh, this parent who um, was abusive also <laughs> publicly outside of home was really great with solving problems, supposedly. And one of the quotes that this parent would always say that I was like, oh, I hate that quote. But then as an adult, I'm like, there's some truth to that. Ironic that he didn't apply that to our life. So one of the quotes that he would always say, or this parent would say, is there are two forms of like disappointment. I forget how he, how it was led into but it was uh, miscommunicated expectation and unfulfilled expectations. So basically an expectation that wasn't properly communicated to somebody. So if I, you know, if I was to say, go, go make some spaghetti. If I, if the person doesn't know, you need to get a pot, boil the water, put water in it, you know, all those, all the steps that, that there's a bit of, there's a layer of assumption and you have to communicate and make sure you know your audience. And and really the thing that I've learned in life to apply to that is you need to over-communicate. If the person knows how to do all the steps, great. Then you're just kind of giving them extra guidance and then they can be like, I know, I know. And then, okay, cool. Well, go have, have at it. But if they don't know, 
then you're giving them instead of, you know, belittling them and saying, you don't know how to make spaghetti. What kind of, yeah. Um, you can say, Hey, go get a, a pot that's, you know, this big and fill it with like four cups of water, go measure out the pasta. Like you get, you're teaching them how to do something if they don't know how to do it. If they know how to do it, they'll tell you, I already know how to do this. And it's okay to say, what are you going to do? Like, what do you want? If it's a kid, like, well, what, what are your steps? And then they can learn. And if they know what they're doing, then great. It's not an issue. And in the future, you can just be like, we go make spaghetti. So miscommunicated expectations is not, is truthfully not knowing your audience, not knowing where they're coming from and not giving them the chance to understand what you want them to do. And then unfulfilled expectations is obviously someone didn't do it. Either they didn't intend to take care of that for you or they pick something else. They're bad at time management. They, you know, something like that. Tons of truth. But again, didn't apply to my life. So um, it was said through my life, but never got applied. Number four on the video, playing the victim card. That I have seen more in adult years than I saw as a kid. I saw it a bit as a kid, but it was a little bit harder to see. Now it's like the only card that gets played because it was, it's like, Oh, well, poor me. I was, I was such a hard worker. I sacrificed and you guys are just ungrateful and I just want gratitude and thanks. And I'm sending you this email and I just wanted you to say, Oh, we love you and thank you. For what? I mean, you know, like we're getting things where you're like boasting. Do you not care what's happening in our life? That's kind of what inspired all this was something along those lines. So playing the victim card and, you know, I've, I've done so much and, and like I had, both my parents were alive my whole life. One parent had, Majority custody, and the other parent had weekends except for the second and the fifth weekend. And it's pretty clear which which one uh, was the biggest problem. But anyway, so it was just always like, oh, I'm a single parent. I do my best. It's, I feel like we were like a pickup line for like getting dates or something like it makes me wonder how much my life would have been different had I been with a parent who actually wanted to have children in their presence not for the sake of oh look at my puppy but for the sake of I get to actually foster little humans into being a great part of society um so gaslighting that, I think, goes along with invalidating emotions and reality. Things are downplayed. That's a bit of a narcissistic behavior. Um, you can say, oh, well, you said this, and they're like, well, that's not what I meant, and they try to like play it off of the technicality and start making you question whether or not you um, interpreted something right. Going back to the recent email that I got with this parent was... 
I read it as a very passive aggressive and going off of all this history. Like I knew this wasn't just a, Oh, I love you guys. I, I really miss you. No, it was, it was a little bait. It was a hook trying to get, set something up. If we didn't respond, Oh, well then boom, there's a setup because we didn't respond and we're ungrateful and how rude. But then if we do respond, like the, Damned if you do, damned if you don't. That was like the motto in my head growing up, especially in later, more conscious years. Um, so gaslighting. And, you know, like I, I was like, hey, I'm reading this a little bit passive aggressive. I pardon my defensiveness, but this is kind of where I'm coming from. And then it was just like, you know, how dare you? You're overreaction, da 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 da. Like, gaslighting the effort tried it <laughs> and that's probably the last email that we're ever going to exchange because you know what i'm i'm done so if this parent is reading this is watching this listening to this whatever don't ever email me again don't nothing just have have your your partner send me a newspaper when there's something published in it um, threats of violence. That wasn't super. I remember as a kid, like the emotional stuff was so bad. Sometimes I, I kind of wished that this parent would just hit me and then I could call the cops and get out of there. But I was never blessed with such an emergency exit button like that. Uh, favoring a child over another. I felt like that bounced back and forth. Um, I remember in high school, I got tasked with all the chores on top of my homework. Um, I wasn't the smartest person. I think that I needed help in my education. I could have used some tutoring, but tutoring was used as, oh, are you dumb? Do I need to hire a tutor? And it wasn't just that, but also like the implied, that'll be an extra expense for me. Do you want me to waste my money on that? Like, so it taught me not to ask for help. It taught me not to admit that I might not know what I'm doing. Um, I remember one time asking for help with, so this is going to transition to being overly critical. Um, I remember asking for help with a math problem. This was like in fifth grade, I think. Um, and being told to go look it up in the dictionary while this parent sat on their ass in their lazy boy watching TV. The epitome of the American dream, apparently. But like, like, what does that imply? Like thinking about it as an adult, I'm like... Was that like a jab? Was it? It was clearly because this person couldn't help and didn't want to help, and it was, it would have been a burden to actually turn off the TV and help your child with their homework. But probably didn't want to admit that they themselves didn't know what the hell to do because they're an idiot. <laughs> um, so literally telling me to go look it up in the in the dictionary, the good old like from the 70s Webster's, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Like, also, what does that say to, after I thought about it as an adult, like, does that mean that I was so dumb that 
the average dictionary could have answered my, my, like, what a slap in the face. How dare you ever tell a kid that? Like, wow. And I remember, like, I wanted to be part of this, this uh, brand new thing called STEM was kind of coming around. And this was about 21 years ago. So they were going to go to like the moon or Mars. They were going to go to Mars. We were building a Mars rover. And I was part of this group to help build like a robotics prototype. Granted, it was back in the day, like things are way different than they are. Things are way different then than they are now. Like it's more science and tech and just better. It was plastic parts and basically connects kind of a thing. Anyway, so I was part of this after school science club in fifth grade. And this parent didn't like me being part of that. Uh, it took up too much time. I think, frankly, the impression I got was it took away the control. It took away, it gave me some independence. It gave me a purpose outside of this abusive parent. And so I was quickly yanked out of that, even though it was a lot of fun. And God only knows where my life could have been had I gone down that path because my other parent around that same time said I should have gone into electrical engineering probably should have um, as an adult I've really taken into electronics and electrical theories and math like things that like I never like all the reasons why I never went into these courses growing up was because I was like I don't know math I'm an idiot I, I I don't know this stuff and as an adult now I'm like on my own dabbling into these things and I'm like I get that that makes sense like had I not lived with an abusive parent who sat on my potential and my future? I mean, I could, I could be anything now, but I'm also, I'm in my almost mid thirties. And it's like, I feel like this stuff where I am mentally is where I should have been fostered to be when I was, you know, 12 years ago or 20 years ago. Like things could have been so different. Uh, taking control of your finances. Oh, hang on. Let's finish with some other examples of school. So, because I don't know where else these are going to be. No, let's save that for humiliation. Got some good examples for you there. So, um, threats of violence, no. Taking control of your finances. I remember this. Okay. Um. If I got, I remember several times, if I got money from one of my uncles, I'd get, you know, 200 bucks because this uncle had, you know, money, was kind of a cash kind of guy, and would give me some money. And I remember one year, I think I got 200 bucks, maybe 150, but I got a nice amount of money from this uncle, and literally I had it for a total distance of like five feet because eventually then my parent, the abuser, was like, oh, I should hang on to that. And, or like questioning why I had this money. Anyway, my parent took that money from me and I never saw it again. Probably went to fund some fund that was more beneficial to somebody else. My uncle did give me some extra money because I remember I told him right after that, I was like, yeah, my parent just took that from me. And my uncle was like, wow. And gave me some more money. So, but that's, I remember, yeah. And then I remember my first bank account. Like, obviously, I probably wasn't old enough to have it by myself and, and whatnot. But in that time of, you know, teaching someone financial independence, 
I felt like I was just a fresh, a fresh social security number in a lot of ways. I was a fresh name to the bank that could be soiled by this person. So I never fully trusted this parent when I had bank accounts and this person was the co-person who had access to it. So I remember when I got my first job, opened my first bank account at my other parent's bank, the actual branch they banked at. And I remember this abusive parent was just come, came unglued when it turned out that I had my own bank account that they had no control over, that was not even at a bank that they used. And I remember this parent told me to close my account. And I remember actually calling the Wells Fargo person because it was, you know, a small time operation, but you didn't get a call center. You just called the person's desk. And I said, hey, I need to close my bank. I, I remember I was crying and the banker was like, really confused and so that's a bit of a humiliation thing was I didn't know how to explain what was happening but at the same time I had to go through the motions and show that I made the phone call I had to like it I couldn't disappoint the parent I already had by opening a bank account on my own my first paycheck and this parent, I think, was just pissed that I didn't go to them for financial guidance or how to. And, but why? <laughs> because this parent was an asshole. This parent was a dick. This parent has no part of my life going forward for very obvious reasons that I'm happy to repeat and share for the rest of my life. Because I will never do them as a parent, and I now, you know, you hear the phrase, like, oh, parents always want to give their kids what they didn't have, you know, better life. Some people, that means food. Some people, that means shelter. For me, that means emotional nurturing and good food. Um, I want to invest in my kids' brains. I want to invest in my kids socially and emotionally so that they can become well-rounded humans and good members of society and then excel at college, excel at whatever job they want to do, whatever dreams that they want. I want to help foster that. That's what I didn't have, and that's what I want to give to my kids. Because they can go get loans, and the money will happen. That's the society we live in. But there's things that money can't buy, and that's love emotional support and a very well programmed and engineered brain. Um, so being emotionally absent, I remember hugs weren't a big thing. Like a lot of the emotion came from us and on special holidays, we would, you know, decorate the kitchen like for Valentine's day and, and different things just cause it was fun, but it was also like we were trying to show like this is what it's like to love. Like I feel like my sister and I knew how to love more than the parent. And we wanted hugs. And I remember we said, you know, we wanted hugs. And, and this parent did say that they didn't get a lot of hugs growing up. And so 
again, this is where you have to be aware of maybe how you were abused as a, as a kid. And you have to be conscious of how that made you feel and take steps to not further that abuse. So if you didn't get a lot of hugs and you felt like, oh, it'd be nice to have more hugs, make sure you give so many hugs that your kids are like, oh my God, back away. You know, like just be huggy. And so my, my sister and I loved hugs and we got lots of hugs from one parent. Like she couldn't hug us enough. And then the other parent was like special occasions and occasionally we'd ask for him, but it just, it wasn't a natural thing to hug. Like, and that whole side of the family, like I don't fault that parent for that because that side of the family, like I remember my grandfather, like shaking hands with my grandfather and then going in for the hug, like kind of like a half hug while you're shaking hands. And that's like between you, like, it's weird. Like, but I get, that's just how they were raised. That's, but that's something that I'm breaking and it's never going to get carried on. Um, I also remember one time we were needing volunteers for a band thing. And I was like, oh, you want to go? And this parent said, oh, my time is valuable. Can I just write a check? So I took the checks going forward. And then, you know, then it kind of transitioned into, oh, well, how come you didn't, you know, let me know about this. How come you didn't, I didn't want this parent at my events. Like, I gave that that chance and a check was more willing to be sent and with time reinforced that there was no physical connection or love there. Like, I didn't want this parent around. Like, yeah, just give me a check. Your time is valuable. Go do what you want. Um, using guilt. We got guilted all the time. You know, if we weren't grateful for something or if we were suddenly, if we were tired of toys that just like were no interest to a 13 year old, things that we had since we were six and we wanted to throw them away, donate them, like we didn't get to get rid of anything. And it was, oh, I spent my hard earned money on that or so-and-so spent their hard earned money. Like I get, donate them. I'm not, we're not saying you have to try like, but we couldn't get rid of anything because it was worth something or somebody spent their hard earned money on it. And we were ungrateful. Humiliation. This is a big one and I'm running out of time. So I remember several times. Um, I remember once in seventh grade, Mr. Fulmer was my math teacher at West middle school in Nampa, Idaho. And I came to class one day with my homework completed. And it was all wadded up, like it had been put out of a trash can. And, well, let's step back first. So I had said, I talked, like I was not the best math student. I had some issues. I was also starting to have eye issues where I couldn't see things up ahead. And... That obviously, like, I wasn't gonna say I need help because that wasn't the mindset at home. But I remember my teacher wanted to share something at the upcoming parent teacher conferences, and I said, I wish teachers wouldn't talk about those things because I felt like they over exaggerated them. Well, this teacher was, you know, classic teacher and kind of, oh, I'm just being rebellious or whatever. So, actually, shared these things and this conversation with my parent. 
And I remember on the way home, my parent was like, oh, so you told Mr. Falmer that you thought that parents over-exaggerated things? And what did you mean by that? And just, like, it was a horrible session. Like, my stomach would always flip Sunday afternoon when it was time to go back to Nampa and, like, go back to this parent's house. Like, that's what I would imagine hell being like. And anyway, so this happened. And then I was like, oh, whatever, we got past it. Um, and then I came to class once with my homework all watered up. And Mr. Fulmer was like, why is your homework? Like, it looked like I pulled it out of the trash can. But it had my name on it. Like, so he could tell it was mine. But he's like, why is your homework all messed up? And I was like, oh, cuz. And then I remember he goes, no, I'm not your cuz. Why is your homework all messed up? And I said, because my parent thought I did it wrong. Was pretty sure I did it wrong. Screamed and yelled at me, said that I didn't do it right, wadded it up and threw it in the trash. And then my sister came to my defense and said, no, I think he did it right. And then my parent finally started to realize that they were the one that were wrong. Pulled my homework out and then I had to flatten it back out and turn it in. Because it was due that day. Another time, I had a permission slip that had to be signed. And I remember the teacher saying, don't lose these. I don't because it was, you know, kind of a weird time where they didn't have money for copies and, and whatnot. So they had enough for each student. Like, don't lose them. Like, I can't get you another one. My parent took it, was super pissed. And... I forget why, like I had it up there in plenty of time, like days ahead of time to sign it and whatever, but somehow they believe that I didn't. And there was like a huge pile of past due bills and stuff on the uh, table, but I'm not supposed to tell you that I, I was told at age 10 that I wasn't, that I'm not supposed to tell you what happened in that house, what happened. So my apologies, I'm sharing some, some stuff. Um, but anyway, so there were piles of bills. Um, I came home several times with, and had to pull off, uh, foreclosure notices off of our door. Like that's, that stressed me out as a kid. Like I never wanted to, and we'd have the power shut off or the water get shut off. And then I had to go take the check down to the city water department to get the water back on. I mean, the parent would write the check, but they weren't the one owning the problem. I had to go save their face and be the person that people interacted with. And anyway, so this permission slip, this was like 10th grade, I think. Yeah. And so we were going to go to the Warhawk Air Museum and this permission slip was my permission slip. And the parent was super pissed about something in their mind. A little psychotic breakdown, I guess. And took my permission slip, got it wet, like threw it in the sink, sprayed it with the sprayer, um, pulled out every condiment in the fridge, ketchup, mustard, mayo, relish, like it looked like a hot dog by the time it was a piece of paper, pink piece of paper. And it just got all like cut and then like squished it all together and like ketchup squirted everywhere. Like it was a mess. Um, and then threw it in the trash and was like, well, you're not going and like just horrible. And I remember saying, even then I was like, 
this is very immature and, and you're the parent. And I remember the parent was just so pissed that I said that. And I was like, and you're the parent and you're doing like, this is immature. And anyway, then it ended up with, I'll sign it, but you need to go get another permission slip. So I had to go to my teacher and, and play dump play like, oh, I lost it. Thankfully, I wasn't the type that lost things. So the teacher like was like, oh, okay. Like I was the good student. And the, you know, gave me another permission slip and I, we got to go, but shit like that happened a lot throughout the years. Like getting grilled, intercepting report cards so that, you know, I could buy another week. You know, I couldn't, I'm so glad I didn't have the, we didn't have the technology like today. Like if my parents could have logged into my like school to see grades and stuff and like, just come to their own conclusions. God, I, I wanted like, so in seventh grade, I wanted to like, I'd think about like stepping out in front of a bus. That's what my parent did to me. I'd walk to school and I thought, you know, how, how painful would that be to just step in front of a bus and end this? And I mentioned that to my other parent who was very supportive, didn't overreact, which is very calm. And, and I can only imagine how hard that would be to hear that. But this other parent actually was like, well, what happens if you fail? What happens if you're paralyzed? Do you really think that this parent actually wants to take care of you in a wheelchair? You know, what if you're not successful? And my God, it was that a eye opener because yeah, if I if I didn't do it right and didn't actually like kill myself, there'd be more legitimate things of you're such a burden to me and a, an expense and it it'd be worse. And thank God my other parent said that little bit of reality because that's where we were at for years. I just wanted to die. I hated. Being at home, I hated my parent. I should have never lived there. I lived with this parent for 24 years of my life. Thank God that is over and we are moving forward. Um, But it's also shaping who I'm going to be as a father and who I allow around my family and my children. Um, So earning a parent's love is number 13 on this list. And I felt like we had to do that. You know, there were like litmus tests throughout uh, childhood that, you know, we had to do stuff that would prove. It's kind of like when you like look at like a a dictatorship like Hitler or uh, Kim Jong-un or the person before Kim Jong-il or something like one of those like fascist kind of dictator, narcissistic leader type things. Trump, quite frankly. When you, you know, they're like, I need absolute loyalty. Promise that to me, Comey. And Comey's like, well, I can't really do it. Boom. You're a target now. And so that was the way it was growing up. I had to do stuff that would earn the love. You know, I had to give details about somebody else that was a hot topic to this parent. 
even if it was fictional. I, if I could say, hey, I've got this beautiful little gem. I can tell you this little nugget of something. And the parent would be like, oh, I'm interested. And then, you know, I'd offer it. And it was what it was. But, the, like, that was sick. It caused this, like, weird thing where it was like I was, you know, offering up trinkets of knowledge of gossip to earn the love of this parent, to actually have worth in this person's life. And that's not healthy to do to kids. And God only, like, set, talk about setting someone up for what love looks like. And in all of our lives, it was, this is unconditional love. Like, I love you unconditionally, even though looking back, like, everything was based on a condition. And, like, all the right words were thrown around, but they didn't know the meaning to the words. And I've gone through and looked up all the words that I remember as a kid, and be, and now I can be like, no, they were wrong in their definition of what that meant. If that's truly what they thought that meant, they're wrong, and this is what it really is. And so now I can use those words in the proper context, in the proper framing and truly teach my children unconditional love what complex carbohydrates are by the way complex carbohydrates unlike my parent would have told me back in the day like when i played tennis whole big old thing of spaghetti like massive portions um and then you know down the road calling me fat and like if i shave my head like if my hair is too short i still think of like just this parent going, oh, you look fat, and just constantly, you're fat, 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 fat. Um, even though this parent would, like, gorge themselves, wouldn't eat dinner with us, but then gorge themselves at midnight, and then the next morning, oh, the lasagna pan's emptying in the sink. We gotta wash that now. We had to do all the dishes. Um, but massive portions of, like, spaghetti before a tennis match. And being told, oh, it's good for you. It's complex carbohydrates. Well, guess what I know as, as an adult? Spaghetti pasta is not a complex carbohydrate. It's a carbohydrate. It can lead to diabetes and massive problems, but a complex carbohydrate actually is loaded with fiber. Guess what that is? That is either whole wheat spaghetti, if you're truly going to go that route, or it's beans or bread or something that the word complex means that it takes time to break down. It's not a simple carbohydrate like spaghetti or rice or sugar. Again, things that I've had to teach myself as an adult so that I can properly teach my children. If I could like get an advance on my career and life and income based on the 24 years of bullshit that I lived through in service to this parent... I'd be ready for retirement. I've gone through so much crap. Holy cow. Um, and then taking away your independence. That was towards the end. Um, you know, we were told, that, oh, well, going to school is like a job and your homework is your task. And I like that principle. That's very true. It's good to teach your kids some work ethic. But, like, I wanted to get a job at, like, McDonald's. I wanted to work in some fast food. I wanted, you know, everyone else was getting a job around 18, 17, you know. I wanted to have a job. But we were told 
it sounds great on paper, but it really hindered, looking back, it hindered my independence, hindered my ability to get the hell out of the house. We were told, oh, well, your job is to just be a good student, get good grades, and that makes, that'll make me happy. Like, you don't need a job. And I'm happy that we didn't have to go earn money to pay the bills and, and pay our way, and I'm happy that that wasn't our reality. And I don't support that being the reality. But we also had no way to be like, I have savings and I can get out of this. So then, yes, we had to continue just going to school and doing what the parent ordered because guess what? That was the cost of going to school. Like, oh, well, you, you do this, but I also need you to do some chores around the house. Like, it was like indentured slavery. That's really what it was. And so... It's just crazy to think about, you know, all that. And and finally the time came and, you know, I got into a relationship when I was like 24 and it turned out to be an abusive relationship. Not just because of the other person, but partially, you know, there were things that I'm sure I did that furthered, you know, things that I had learned the past 24 years that weren't healthy and rather abusive. But once I found somebody that was interested in me and we had the same job, so basically double the income, I could move out. I could afford to get away. And now I don't have to look back because I have worked so hard to build up savings to help myself that I could live with one parent. I could live with one set of parents. I couldn't live with the parent that I've been hinting at this whole time because, frankly, I'd probably rather be dead. But it happens. People get abused, people survive, people move forward. You take over your life at some point, something will push you to take over your own destiny and your own future. I'll still never forget my grandpa on my mom's side got super mad once and was basically like told me you need to stand up for yourself you need to vouch for yourself you need to stand up to this bully like it was the one time I ever saw this grandpa get so pissed like to the point where he looked like he was gonna punch somebody and my my grandpa said that I needed to stand up for myself and so this is part of me standing up to myself. This is everything going forward is me standing up for myself. It's me moving forward and not being a victim of my situation back in the day. So I hope it helped you out. I hope you found some good things in this. I hope that if you were a victim of abuse, forgive the person because it's for you. It's not for them. And do your best to not perpetuate it any further. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to talking to you again. And I hope you have a great one. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation. 
send a text message or leave a voicemail at 208-391-2808. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and several podcasting platforms. All the information at everettmcconaughey.com.